I have pushed the button. If it's red, it means dead. <laughs> Anywho. Hey, I did the last intro. Someone else should do the, this intro. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of Solutions Brewing Podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm joined today with Steve and Brendan. And clearly, we're just goofing around now. <laughs> well, Brendan's laughing so hard, he just dropped his phone on the floor. So, <laughs> Anyways, uh, in this episode, we thought it'd be fun to talk about uh, kind of where beer really came from. So ancient beer. And uh, we came super prepared. We did five minutes of Google searching. All, all the research. After drinking two beers each. And it, it's important at this point to state... We are in no way historians or... So again, if any historian uh, who has actually researched this topic has, you know, done uh, the the work on this and is listening to this podcast, you might want to switch to something else right now because you're going to get super no, angry. No, better yet. Oh. You can reach out to us at no, pro- no problems at <laughs> solutionsbrewing.com and inform us about how this is because it's a very interesting topic and I it think is. it's really cool. I kind of wish I had done more research and will be doing more research on this because <laughs> it's... It's just neat. It's it's neat to know where the things we love came from. Yeah. Or really, I wonder why we even have themes, because we often deviate from what we're talking about anyways. So. Well, well, it's important to have a guidepost, even if you take a long time to get there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, go to this point, and eventually we get to that point, but then it's like just tangents along the way, so. Well, it's like a road trip across anywhere. I mean, you know where you're going at the end of the day, but if you see something interesting along the way, you're going to divert, and you're going to go see that waterfall, or you're going to go see that brewery, or something like that. It's like stopping to smell the roses. I exactly, right? Uh, metaphor I was going to say, you're, you're, yeah, you're of the philosophy philosophy school of uh it's not the destination it's the journey (laughs) well no because i not quite (laughs) not quite he says knowing where you're headed is important but it does mean you have to take a direct line there like to this topic that we're talking about today right so what are we talking about ancient beers (laughs) (laughs) this is also your idea (laughs) yeah and per usual brendan putting in the maximum effort into his own ideas hey hey i got a new house i got a new kid i got a (laughs) yeah 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 excuses no no gingerbread house no beer (laughs) unprepared for podcasts true true it has not been a strong month for my participation (laughs) at at least he you know i'm here i'm here recording gear at least he did that exactly i i I still show up even if i'm underprepared but still happy to come and talk and take my licks for this because you know what it goes in cycles yeah it is all cyclical what goes around comes around to brendan again (laughs) (laughs) although just to take the pressure off me a little bit, Steve reminded me that he still has homework from like 20 episodes ago. Oh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like 25 episodes ago, I think now. Yeah, it's uh, just before the podcast, we were talking, uh, Brendan, uh, did you, was that posted on Instagram, those uh, the photos? And was all that? that? I did the beer bread, yep. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. so Brendan made a uh, kind of a, a version of like an Irish soda bread, but with beer, uh, specifically the dark humor, the dark humor stout, yep. and uh, turned out amazing. Apparently, so oh, it was fantastic. So we were talking about that, and then they remind, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I was supposed to do that with pizza crusts uh, a long, long, long time ago, and still haven't done that." So, yeah. <laughs> so now it's a race again between Steve and I. I 
want to do this same bread with each of our fine products. Mm -hmm. uh, Dark Humor Stout, the Kiss uh, Amber Ale, and the Missing Piece Blonde. See which one makes the best bread. Steve was going to see which one made the best pizza dough. Maybe yeah. it's the same one. Maybe not. We don't know. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting just because I don't think the dark beer will be... Uh, like the dark humor will go well with like a standard margarita style pizza. Well, but this is the other thing. You, you never need know. to make a different type of pizza to suit each beer that's going into it, right? That's like so many pizzas. <laughs> it's only three. <laughs> no, no, but you got to do it scientifically. So you got to make like three doughs with the single beer and then like cook those like as a margarita, like maybe a simple like sausage pizza or something like that. And then like a works pizza, but you got to do it. For each of the beers, that's nine pizzas. And then you have to have your standard recipe, which is another three. So that's like 12 pizzas at this point. Well, and that's assuming that your of your three recipes, they're going to work for each one. Because there's exactly. a lot of different varieties of pizza that you can make. Yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen. So like, it, there might have to be 16 pizzas at that point. You might have to have four different varieties to go all the way down. Well, like maybe I, a veggie pizza or something. I don't in know. either case, I think at their current pace, Brendan is ahead because he actually did a beer <laughs> bread. <laughs> yes, he is, a, he is ahead. It's so... So Steve still owes pizza. And a beer. And a beer. <laughs> From six months ago. <laughs> More like four months ago. True, but I'm only a week late on my beer so far. So. <laughs> I That's lost in August. Brendan's loss is fresh. <laughs> actually, I'm looking forward to making the, that ESB again because the the original one I did was actually a three-gallon three gallon recipe. Ooh. It, was, it was a half recipe, so I'm going to be scaling it up to the thirty gallons. <laughs> so ten, pretty times. much, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. It's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun actually doing and that. I don't know uh, if this was mentioned at the time, but that that was the very first all grain beer that I made. Was that ESP? No, it wasn't mentioned, but that's the reason why I chose it because it was like your first like this is my first beer, and it turned out really really good. So I was like, mm -hmm. and it's a nice, easy drinking beer, perfect for you know the the cold months here. So. Really, yeah. it is the reason that I became an all-grain brewer at all. Because if that one hadn't worked out, I would have been like, ah, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, go, going back to extract or going back to... Uh, actually, no, I, I would never have gone back to uh, just the bag. Would you just get the bag of wort? No. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have gone back to that. But extract, at least, because you get your specialty grains, you get your extract, you get your hops. It's pretty close to, uh, to full-on all-grain brewing, so that would have been close enough. All right. So this is a, a bit of an awkward segue now back to our original topic, but my first beer was the ESB, so we can talk about the first beer for humanity. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a natural fit. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's so natural. Speaking of segues. <laughs> so, yeah, so beer has been around, like, so it's, you know, it's been around since essentially civilization has been around. There's been some sort of alcoholic beverage that's followed humanity for all the ages. Uh, like we were just talking about the uh, before the podcast started, like beer or traces of alcohol have been found in like ancient Mesopotamia, which is now current Iran, Iraq, kind of that kind of area sort of thing. So it's been, it's been around, it's been a part of, you know, human culture just for... Which I find funny because... Now religiously, they that those are all dry countries. Yeah, they're they're all dry countries now. <laughs> so, so, like, beer came from here, but not anymore. Yeah. Um, and like like generally, when you're thinking about ancient beers, like like you think of like Egypt, like that's like that's the big one most people think about. But it's been around much longer than that before. Absolutely, yeah. So 
I mean, if you go to the Far East, there in my 30 minutes of Google searching here, <laughs> uh, <laughs> evidence of beer production in China as far as 7,000 BC, mm-hmm. which is really old. I mean, the the Mesopotamia stuff, the cradle civilization. Uh, their documented evidence there is kind of 3100 to 3500 BC. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but there's theories and there's thoughts that, you know, this might go as far back as agriculture itself, which would be 10,000 BC. Yeah. So as soon as they started commercially growing barley, yeah, <laughs> they found ways to... <laughs> Not even commercially growing it. It was probably just like they settled because they found a food source that they could manage. That they could get every year. Yeah. yeah. And then any of the excess, you know, before it went bad, you have to find a purpose for it. So... You know, and at the root of it, like we've mentioned many times on the podcast, it's just sugar. That's all it is. You're just getting sugar and then letting it ferment sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm almost willing to bet it was a total accident of like a bunch of grain got wet somewhere and they dumped it somewhere. And then and then there's a strange and then probably sweet a bunch liquid on it sort of thing. Probably a bunch of then probably some animals probably started eating it. And they're like, these animals are weird <laughs> because they're probably loaded from eating this, this partially fermented grain. And then they're like. Then probably someone else ate it, and then, oh, because alcohol didn't really exist around that way. Like no one would have any tolerance. The stuff's probably only like one or two percent or whatever it is, and they probably still got a pretty good buzz off of it. Yeah, like you know, it it you know started by accident, sort of thing. Like at some point, someone observed this or ta- again tasted that sweet liquid, and it's like, oh, this I thought this rotten grain was going to be bad, but it tastes okay, sort of thing. Which has to be the way that everything was really developed initially. Some, oh, somebody threw the bread in the or the the wheat in the water in the in the fire, and then they're like, oh, this actually stuck around better. Maybe yeah. I can eat this instead of just gnawing on a. <laughs> someone tried to make barley wheat. soup, and they're just like, hey, this just tastes like sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it's you know. It's been around for a super long time. And it's been popular forever. Yeah. So, again, going back to the more documented stuff, 3100 to 3500 BC in Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. lots of poems about it, lots of stories, lots of hymns, lots of all this sort of stuff that's actually well documented that we've been able to pull. And beer was a daily staple. Yeah. <laughs> it was something that they it was, had. It was all safer the time. than water because. Like water had pathogens, had, you know, was unclean, you know, it maybe wasn't, didn't come from a good source, but you know, the mild effects of alcohol on a, on a substance, you know, kind of purifies it a little bit. So at least you're boiling it. Yeah. You're boiling it. And you know, the alcohol is, you know, a bit of an, you know, antiseptic and, you know, you know, probably good for, uh, for a variety of things, but at least it'll, it's safer than water. And And it's something that'll keep a little bit better than water, right? Exactly. uh, You've, you've built in. And I mean, at that point, they're not going to be filtering out or spinning out the yeast or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so you still have an active culture there that, I mean, the yeast at least is safe to consume. Yeah. Whereas, and it's strong enough and, and active enough that it beats out any other microbe that might be in there, right? So it gives you something that has a natural kind of preservative factor to it. I'm, I'm sure it didn't taste the best to be eaten yeast. <laughs> um, well, so like, here here's the big thing, like for you know, modern beer drinkers for like the last, you know, couple hundred years. Uh, it's, you know, the, or actually since, you know, German times, if we're going back to the, you know, the purity law, it, you know, is water, yeast, hops, and malt. Um, hops didn't exist back then. That wasn't a cultured, uh, product. It was, you know, a wild plant sort of thing that people had no, you know, didn't know it could be used in such a way. So, 
the beers that they made didn't weren't didn't have hop flavor. Didn't have they weren't bitter. Bitter. They didn't have <laughs> uh, the various flavors that can come out of hop. So like, it's basically like sweet, sort of like malty water. You know, maybe with some herbs and spices or something in that sort of thing. But like, yeah, a lot of it depended on. That's how they tried to balance that sweetness out. Mm-hmm. They adds whatever. I can't remember what what kind of herbs they would use, but they I think there was like some used rosemary or like tree bark or you know like whatever <clears throat> whatever they were using to try to balance out of that sweetness otherwise you're just drinking sugar yeah like whatever was available essentially in your particular region of the world <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah like um but it, it's it's kind of super interesting because like like you you basically get like a wart out of you know soaking your grain or however you would get to it like i'll mention the like the egyptian process in a second here um but you'd get that, you would let it ferment, you know, you either using like your magic stick that you put into the wart and it works sort of thing, or you let it open ferment and hopefully you get good bugs and not bad bugs sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of finish it with a little bit more herb spices, sugar sort of thing and put it into a, a pot or some kind of vessel. And hopefully at the end of it, you've got a drinkable product. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they got so for the open fermentation, the wild is that you've got a decent yeast culture, a decent wild yeast in the air around there. But that's also something that's now propagated in that tank. You're going to pull out of it, and it's going to be kind of in and around. So if you do repeat brews in that same area, you should have the same wild yeast around, right? You don't exactly have a lot of air conditioning, air cycling, uh, <laughs> purification going on there. So if you're if you're in a good spot, you should be able to continue to brew in that spot and still have yeast as the the prominent microbe that yeah. is going to be culture in your beer right so it might come down to like okay 10 breweries start up in ancient mesopotamia mm-hmm. six of them make people sick <laughs> <laughs> and they shut down but the other four keep going for the rest of their lives because they've now created this little culture of wild yeast in their area that imparts their own flavor in this and like i, I shouldn't say breweries it, it'd more likely be taverns i don't think yeah. there are very yeah. many large breweries <laughs> yeah uh, the history I've read was a lot of it was actually basically homebrew and it was, uh, a lot of women, it was wives that were uh, making the beer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They were making, that's how they would, um, create an income for themselves. They would make the beer, sell the beer and make more beer. Well, and it was also part of the, in my reading here, the, the daily food preparation for the family. So your barley being a relatively easy grain to grow and particularly in that part of the world was relatively uh, well distributed. What? I was just adjusting head in my microphone. <laughs> so much noise. <laughs> At least it didn't hit it this time. <laughs> Whack. No, but uh, as part of this, so they got the barley, they make barley bread, then they take spent from that or anything they didn't use for that, and they start brewing the beer for the day. And obviously you sell whatever excess you have and, and all that, but it's it becomes part of the daily ritual. And particularly if you're having beer as a daily staple because it's easier to drink and because it makes your life a little bit nicer, <laughs> <laughs> then it, 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 it makes sense that you would have this kind of crop up all through. Yeah. But then as you move from, you know, ancient uh, civilizations, the Sumerians and a bunch of other ones that I don't actually know, because again, we're not historians. Um, you start to get bigger and bigger and more complex civilizations where you need now, 
to be able to supply food to people who aren't within your family, or there's a national interest to kind of supply food and beer mm-hmm. to other areas. And this is where you start getting into like the Babylonians come in mm-hmm. and they have a much bigger kingdom, much bigger empire than a much more organized structure than the people that came before them. And so now all of a sudden you have, all right, we need to get this beer out somewhere. We need to have some rules that govern the production of this beer that govern the, how it's held, how it's, how it's, how it's dealt with. Yeah. And this actually led to an interesting point that I was reading on here where they created some fairly strict laws <laughs> in terms yeah, of how, uh, how beer could be sold. And the, one of the codes here, so this is under Babylonian, Babylonian rule in Mesopotamia, beer production increased dramatically and they introduced this section 108 code. <laughs> which is if a tavern keeper does not accept grain according to gross weight in payment of drink but takes money and the price of the drink is less than that of the grain, she shall be convicted and thrown into the water. Which basically means if you short pour your beer <laughs> and take cash, yeah, then you get drowned. <laughs> yeah. And the reason that was written is because, I mean, typically you could just exchange the beer for grain and it's mm-hmm. a weight to weight. So that's something that you can't short pour because you're just, I'm giving you this much grain for the same weight in beer. Mm-hmm. And so a very easy, simple thing to follow. But they had, apparently people would try to cheat it with uh, whatever monetary uh, item they were using at the time. And yeah, a very, very strict law for short pouring drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that's kind of like a consumer protection law because it's like that is yeah, it's an ancient one, but it's like yeah, we're you know th- this is a rampant problem. We're introducing a law to ensure that it doesn't happen. Except uh, the consequences are quite severe for, uh, again, for a couple short pours. <laughs> I'm just picturing some ancient bar fights now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would fill my glass all the way up. <laughs> Fine, I'm taking half my grain back. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, so that's the interesting thing. Like, you know, a more structured society, you know, more rules and all that. Because, like, the little... Re- research I did was on ancient Egyptian brews. So they got the closest, like, again, still being in the, the BC period, they got the closest to what would can kind of be considered a wart nowadays. Because what they would do, and actually this reminds me of a beer style. It's actually from Russia and it's, it follows the same thing. And it's called, it's uh, basically soaking water in bread. So you do that to draw all of the, you know, malt and sugars out of the bread. I'm trying to remember what it is. Like, it's a, again, Slavic kind of, I would say Russian beer, but who knows sort of thing. That's done with bread and molasses. Hmm. Um, That basically gets your base sugar, your base flavors and all that. But what the Egyptians would do is they would make uh, bread. So that would, you know, that would be kind of a.k.a. the kiln. Like, yeah, that would get your, your malt flavor sort of thing soak it and then that would become their kind of wart and then again magic spoon right area all that kind of stuff to get it fermenting and then they would add herb spices and honey and all that other stuff at the end but uh that because that that bready notes and bready texture and all that kind of stuff it would like that malted grain that was about as close you can get that without actually malting to that flavor which is quite interesting like Mm -hmm. it's still a sweetened wart that you're dealing with but closer uh, definitely closer to what a modern beer would be 
So it's it's kind of interesting because there's been a bit of a revival uh, nowadays because like there's so many breweries in the world and all this kind of stuff. And you know the kind of the the reins have been taken off and people are you know experimenting and doing all that kind of stuff. But people are sometimes instead looking to the past. And uh, I was reading one. There's a uh, brewery I think of out. Illinois or something like that, mm-hmm. that they try to recreate using more modern techniques, but like an ancient beer. And so, uh, like they actually did do the same thing. They actually took malted grain, used it in a bread, soaked it, like took all the stuff down. And so they, um, the biggest difference they found with, even with all that kind of stuff, they put in dates and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, stuff you would find along the, the Nile river Valley at that time. Um, the biggest thing, though, is that they didn't put hops in it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, it's really weird because it's way sweeter than it should be. It doesn't have that bittering to balance it out, even though they put in some, uh, I think they said mandrake or something like that. Or like um, nightshade. There's, Yeah, they, they put is in. It, is it nightshade like a poison? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they they used it as part of the uh, of the bittering uh, stuff to put in. Yeah, they, they did a very, yeah, mandrake roots. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So same family, but not uh, not that. Also, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, you might know what Mandrake is. But um, yeah, they're the little roots that look like people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and even they said it there. It's like Mandrake, a member of the Nightshade family. There we go. Used ah. to be used with great prayer. Even a small amount of Mandrake added. Beers made with this plant should not be consumed in large <laughs> large <laughs> quantities or frequently. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, alcohol is in itself a little bit of a poison as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anybody who drinks 100% alcohol is not going to be doing very well for very long. Yeah. Nope. But yeah, that's what they use to like help counteract the bitterness is like, very, again, various herbs and spices they have available. To add the bitterness to counteract the cloying yeah. sweetness. I can only imagine some of these ancient beers and how they would just yeah, stick. <laughs> well, that's why you'd probably water them down because they, they'd be so sweet. It'd be like, oh, like what? <laughs> well, they watered wine down. Do they do the same for beer? I think so. Huh. Like if they made I don't a... know why you're looking at me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we need a historian to reach out to us. On yeah. This. <laughs> Again, there's a historian like just bashing his head against the wall right now being like, oh my God, these guys. Oh Send us God. an email. Come on the show. <laughs> tell us where we're wrong. One of our 20 listeners should know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that brings you up to ancient Egypt and, and beer production keeps getting more and more commercialized as we go further into these more and more advanced civilizations. And in Egypt, yeah. it becomes very commercialized and it becomes part of the, this is how we're going to keep the slaves happy and all this sort of stuff is where the daily measures of bread and beer. Yeah. This is something that we're going to provide to all our soldiers. This is something we're going to do here. All and here the workers get it. Yeah, absolutely. All the kind of stuff. So and it becomes proper commercialized. You get actual breweries at this point that mm-hmm. are centralized for solely for beer production and distribution and all that sort of stuff. And very, very interesting. And then, you get Greece and Rome, fuck it all up. <laughs> yeah, they go and invade and be like, we don't like beer. <laughs> that, that is pretty much they exactly replace everything with wine. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it's funny because, like, if you look through the history, like, beer's, like, gotten a bad rap over, like, the various centuries because, like, it's it's cyclical. Like, it, 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 it rises to prominence and then it goes down again because, like, even think like even like a, a little bit more modern take like beer has been around you know since you know again like we were talking about german purity law in the 1300s but it uh 
like it went through periods that like beer was the you know the the dirty common drink or whatever like you know oh it's the drink of barbarians yeah the drink of barbarians sort of thing and even like uh, like like specifically what I'm thinking right now is like modern times like beer didn't quite go to extinct in North America like in the nineteen like early 1900s. But <laughs> but they sure as hell tried. They sure as hell tried, <laughs> like through prohibition in the U.S. Per- and particularly like trying to stamp it out. Well, and, prohibition was here too. Yeah, don't was, forget about that. Alberta was, had prohibition. It, it was prohibition sort of stuff, but like the industry, you know, basically became just like loggers. Like, yeah, that that's all it became, and so. So like, you which know, is prohibition in a subtler form. Yeah. yeah, you can you can either drink Molson or drink water. Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, tough choice, tough choice. Yeah, but you, you got Bud Light or water. Oh, I don't know, because like again, like we're in the middle of the beer like renaissance right now, especially in Alberta. Like just so many breweries, so many flavors, all this stuff is coming back. But thirty years ago, like there wasn't like you went and got the lager at the the store and you came back like that that was yeah. it like and everyone yeah. drank a lager and you know if you went to your your parents fridge and stole a beer sort of thing you got a really crappy lager and then you're like why why did i you know get in trouble for stealing this beer because it wasn't worth it nowadays oh yeah like oh this is a blackberry sour this is amazing sort of thing like all that kind of stuff but like yeah, beer was in almost like remission for mm-hmm. years, and it's always it's happened again and again and again throughout history. So it's interesting with the Greeks and the Romans coming in because, and I remember doing this this is years and years and years ago as a young avid college student. I needed to take an elective. I took a Greek history course because that's what you do. <laughs> Greece is apparently ideally set up for growing barley. In fact, it's what they grew. They couldn't grow wheat very well, so they grew barley. Barley was their their cereal crop oh and they never made beer they hated beer and when they went and traded with egypt and babylonia and all that sort of stuff they're like ah we don't want this beer we want wine. barley is for eating not drinking apparently <laughs> but that is that that was their that was their, and it makes such terrible bread <laughs> it's just kind of funny uh, they didn't like it and then of course the romans took everything they considered civilization basically to be Greek civilization. Yeah, <laughs> just improved them on that. Copy so they were... paste and actually no, it's like a it's like a college student. You copy paste and change some names, and there that, we go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then they took over the fucking world. <laughs> so like now everybody has to drink wine. Nobody. But then the funny part of it is, so then Christianity comes mm-hmm. and ends up being adopted by the, the the Roman Empire, spreads across the world. The Roman Empire dies out. The church continues. Mm-hmm. And then the next renaissance in beer that happens after the the dark ages of the Roman and Greek uh, rule mm-hmm. is monks, Christian monks that take up brewing beer, yeah, and dedicate their lives to it and make fantastic beers. Yeah, that's how they pay for their monasteries. Well, well exactly, yeah. but it, it's just interesting. Like this is all like this is Roman Catholic Church stuff. The Romans who despised beer, <laughs> and the monks who kept beer going up until. Basically, like the, the modern day, essentially. Modern day, yeah. And like the up lakes. until the Rheinheitsgebirge came into play, and the, the Germans kind of took over everything. And... Yeah, like, because I would say, like, the, the monasteries kept it going until about roughly the 1300s. And then it was after the 1300s that roughly at that point, you know, beer became more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And again, went through its cycle phases when it was mm-hmm. popular or not popular. But, like, some of those monasteries, like, have been making beers for thousands of years seven nine eight hundred thousand years sort of thing yeah 
absolutely. It's and God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they they deserve God's blessings. And like, and it's funny too because uh, certain orders came up with like really strong beers because what they would used to do is they would do like a month of fasting or something like that, but they would drink nothing but liquid. Beer was a liquid, and if you put enough friggin' malt and sugar and uh, all that into a beer, that sugar will sustain you. <laughs> yep, not in a healthy way, but not yes, it will. It will way. keep you alive. Yes, it will keep you alive. And but that's you know, Trappist monks. That's what they would do. They would you know do their their you know month of fasting or weeks of fasting or however long it was. They drink nothing but beer, but they'd be okay because they'd get just enough calories and just enough nutrients out of it because. Again, beer has a surprising amount of amino acids and all the other kind of stuff. They'd, not that you can live off of beer, but you can sustain yourself off of beer as long as you, you know, have stuff already in your body and your fat stores and all that other kind of stuff. Well, and it'll make your, your fast pretty interesting. Yes. In terms of yeah, the, how you perceive God. <laughs> dr- dr- drinking on an empty stomach for a month. Oh, we'll there see is, how that goes. There's one trick to that, though. It does have to be an all-grain beer. Yes. So you can't do like, um, like say Budweiser, for example, which uses rice and corn. That, mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to do it off of that. No. It, it would have to be an all grain beer. Let's mm-hmm. be very clear. We're not recommending this for anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Consult your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Consult your local medical practitioner for all the things you should know about drinking beer constantly. Solutions <laughs> Brewing is not liable. <laughs> do not listen to our advice. <laughs> But do listen to our podcast. Absolutely. So, no, a very interesting progression of beer through the ages. And now, of course, we're having another renaissance. Everybody's coming out with all new styles. People are experimenting again. We're getting brand new hops coming out all the time. Yeah. People are coming up with different ways to malt the grain. That very, very interesting results that come out of it. And Well, like just the development in hops in the last, like, you know, 30 years, or I'd say about 50 years. Is it, I'm, I'm, if I remember correctly... Because it's the uh, Yamaka Valley or something that in California, Washington, that sort of area, where they've been doing like most of the hop research at some of the universities and colleges down there. Mm-hmm. You talk about Washington there, uh, Yakima. Yeah, well, yeah, Yakima. There we go. Um, so like they've been doing basically hop research since I think it was the seventies, and it was like some old world hops and all that, and that's where like Cascade came from. Mm-hmm. Cascade came from Yamaka because they were doing that. It's like, oh, this is our new strain. And that's where Centennial came from and Citra and all these other ones have been developed down there, which on the previous podcast, if you heard us mention Sasquatch, why that's pretty special for Canada is because it's not out of the U.S. And that, and the U.S. has been making all these basically like... And not out of the old world either. Yeah. And it's... that's the thing, like, because there's all the old world varieties like Fuggles or uh, <laughs> Hallertau or Saz or any of those ones. Australia has a bunch of their own stuff, and too. that's the thing. Like, and Australia has all the New World hops too, and they have like Dragon, uh, Galaxy, hops and Galaxy, Mosaic. So, like nowadays, the amount of flavors you can get out of beers is insane. Like, it's it, it, like you, changing the hop for like a, an ounce of hop here, an ounce of hop there can change the base beer so significantly. It's amazing. Whereas, you know. Again, 50, 60 years ago, you had, well, I hope you like Willamette <laughs> or I hope you like Saz because that's what we've been growing for the last 600 years. <laughs> I'm just thinking about going back to ancient times here and blowing their mind with a modern beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then they probably it, wouldn't like it. It occurs oh, to me they're like, like 
What are these bubbles? <laughs> bubbles and too bitter. Yeah. Like okay, so sometimes they did have carbonation because they would like they would seal the clay pots or whatever they're well, using with a bit fair enough but with it, sugar like it, it would no it would generate co2 your like your it, equilibrium pressure there is going to be really low 0.1 pounds or something like yeah. it'd be very very low like clay doesn't hold pressure terribly well yeah and so like but you'd have like a slight carbonation whereas uh again for listeners uh generally commercial beers are uh carbonated to what's called like usually between two and 2.5 volumes of co2 um, so if you, you know, crack about a beer and you see the foam come up or any kind of homebrew, that's kind of like generally this, the, you know, the, the carbonation that occurs. Yeah. It's around five pounds. Yeah. Like five pounds of pressure of CO2 in a, you know, can, a bottle or whatever sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Ancient times would have been below, you know, 0. 0.5, yeah. below 0. 0.4 sort of thing. Cause they didn't have the technology to real seal something very well to withstand the pressure <laughs> so there might have been like a slight bubbling like a little bit of bubbles coming up but nothing significant or anything like that and they also weren't using hops so it wouldn't have been as bitter yeah so it, would, it, it would have been as bitter it would have been a carbonated it just would have been would have been a sweet it basically would have been like a soft drink yeah yeah that, that's <laughs> that's true and there's, there's there's a lot of alcoholic soft drinks around well I shouldn't say alcoholic soft drinks because that's kind of a negative. They're called RTDs, the ready-to-drink beverages. There we go. <laughs> Those are like your hard. Oh, it'd be like your White stuff. Claws or something right now. Yes. Ooh, yeah, hard yeah. seltzers. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've actually ever had a White Claw. Neither have I. Yeah. I have a younger brother who's 10 years younger than me, and he says they're great. So I assume that the kids like them. Oh God! Uh, I think probably because Matthew. Here. I don't know. I've tried. <laughs> I didn't try one of those ones. I tried um, Fitzsimmons and Airdrie makes um, make seltzers. Okay. And I tried one of them. It was the flavor was very light, so it tastes very much like carbonated water. Yeah, and uh, I don't like that. <laughs> so, so it wasn't it wasn't for me. But yeah, not I, to not I to not again, knock against uh, Fitzsimmons, a great brewery, but. Uh, yeah, like, like I've tried some of the seltzers and all. That. Like, I think I've tried nude soda, vodka sodas or something like that. Uh, my wife tried them for a little bit, and yeah, I, I'm like, well, the problem no. with them is they're using vodka as their their liquor in there, right? Like, yeah. so I've when I'm not drinking beer, uh, I enjoy whiskey, mm-hmm. and depending on the grade of whiskey you have, it's either something that you can drink straight, straight, which is already great. Or you need to mix it with something. I enjoy mixing it with like the the bubblies or the the other carbonated water things. Okay. So like, so bubbly lime and rye, is fantastic. But okay, I mean, that's not fantastic. The, the rye carries with it an extra bit of the flavor profile, right? Whereas if you were to do a bubbly lime and vodka, it would taste like bubbly lime, which, is, all right. Yeah. And burn. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, your your choice of alcohol, your choice of liquor that you're mixing this with matters a lot, right? Uh, that is true, and especially since like you know it's vodka, like it's the the world's greatest, you know. Oh yes, and of course they're using the best vodka in the world. For yeah, no, or, yeah, the the greatest best vodka in the world for all this kind of stuff. Because there are vodkas you can drink straight or just on ice. Like uh, that's that's a favorite vacation drink of mine is actually just uh, Stoli's vodka, lime, and on ice. Ooh, interesting. And that's that's my warm warm weather place vacation drink. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, that would be because the vodka will kill anything that's in the ice. <laughs> so... Oh man, <laughs> just don't use ice. Yeah, but it needs to be chilled. Yeah, a little bit of chill, yeah. Nah. <laughs> vodka in the freezer though. And yeah, pour it on the line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, I feel like we've gone through many digressions. Yeah, I think we hit our goalpost, went past, and came back to it. Yeah, well, like we wandered off into the woods, came yeah. back to the goalpost, yeah. and then wandered off again and came back to the goalpost. So I think that's a pretty successful episode. Not bad for five minutes of Google research. <laughs> you said 30 minutes. You're all over the place. Goddammit. All over the goddamn map. <laughs> again, if there are any historians or anybody else who wants to reach out to us, they can reach us at noproblems at solutionsbrewing.com. Mm-hmm. Or how else can they reach us, Steve? Uh, you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram at Solutions Brewing Co. Or because you guys always forget about this one uh you can tweet at us even though no one has checked the twitter in like five months or something like we that we purposely forget that one yeah solution. so don't don't tweet at us solutions brew one i think is the handle for exactly that see yeah. so we don't even don't even, don't even bother <laughs> so don't tweet at us but reach us out at our other social media handles facebook and instagram at solutions brewing co yeah if uh, if any of our friends are listening uh who you know do have their twitter handles just do it for shits and giggles so that the next episode i can tell rob that someone actually tweeted at us <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and then he'll have to like find the login information again and try and get no back no the problem it. here is that somebody on our side is gonna have to recognize that somebody tweeted at us and none of us use twitter so really the twitter thing should just die i use twitter but uh that just means my phone might meet Maybe might beep at me, but I don't know. <laughs> you got a tweet. What? All right. <laughs> well, yeah, tweet at us, and let's see what happens with Rob's phone. Yeah. <laughs> give him give him vibrations. Good vibrations, oh everyone. My God. Oh, my. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Thanks we'll for see listening. you next time. Take care. <laughs>